Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 14. Mark 14. Last Sunday, we learned about the humble surrender of Jesus' will to the Father and his surrender to death on our behalf. And, and we noted in verse 51 uh, what, what Jesus says, excuse me, in, in verse 49. Uh, Jesus says, day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Now by this, Jesus obviously referred to more than his betrayal and arrest in the garden. It included all that was to come in the next few days. In fact, the whole scope of the life of Christ has fulfilled the scriptures from his miraculous conception and birth in Bethlehem to his sacrificial death, his burial in a rich man's tomb, and his triumphant resurrection. All were fulfillments of God's preordained plan as revealed in the scriptures. So before we walk through today's passage in Mark, I want to revisit one of the Old Testament prophets whose words are dramatically and perfectly fulfilled uh, in the passage that we will then look at in Mark. So turn backwards in your Bibles to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah and find that messianic chapter chapter 53, which lifts up uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in these chapters referred to as the suffering servant. He's not yet identified as Jesus until the New Testament, but he is Messiah, and he is referred to as the suffering servant that is promised by God to the nation of Israel. Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, there was nothing striking about the external appearance of Jesus that drew people to him. He was just a common Jewish man. But he was despised and rejected by men, verse 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Sometimes as Christians, we think of the New Testament display of the work of Jesus uh, to the exclusion or the minimization of the Old Testament. And this chapter stands as a testimony to the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you can see the language all over the place, verse 4. It's our griefs and our sorrows that he carried. He was punished for our transgressions, verse 5, our iniquities. He took upon himself the iniquity of us all, verse 6. He was stricken, verse 8, for the transgression of my people, Isaiah says. And the reason that God the Father was pleased to crush him is because he was willing to offer himself, verse 10, as the guilt offering. And he is the righteous one, through whom many will be accounted righteous. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21 right there. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we who come to faith in Christ may be declared righteous. He bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for sinners. So when we go back to Mark 14, we see those prophecies dramatically, powerfully, perfectly fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. The trials of Jesus before his enemies may be placed into two categories that of Jewish or religious and Roman or political. Today's passage informs us about the Jewish trials, which then led to the Roman trials before Pilate. Now this morning, in Mark's account of the illegal trial of Jesus before the religious authorities, we recognize four truths about Jesus that should increase our love for him. 
Our love for Jesus should increase because, number one, Jesus has a sinless testimony. We see this in verses 53 through 59. It was in the morning darkness that Jesus was led from the Garden of Gethsemane to Annas, the high priest. Mark makes it clear, as do the other gospel writers, that the Jewish leaders came together as one to falsely accuse Jesus. So they led Jesus to the high priest, verse 53 says, and the chief priests and the elders all came together. Verse 54, somewhat of a parenthesis that's revisited later, but it talks about Peter and how Peter followed Jesus at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. John's gospel says that there was another disciple with Peter, and he's unnamed, and so we assume it's John being humble and modest, also because Luke tells us that John had a relationship with the high priest. He was a friend of the high priest, and so it would be natural for John to be in that place in the courtyard, and Peter was there with him. And we'll see what happens Uh, next week at what happens there in the courtyard. And so it says then that the chief priests and the whole council, verse 55, were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So nothing came of Annas' questioning, and so the leaders had to contrive a false testimony. They were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, verse 55 says. Notice, they were not seeking the truth about Jesus. They had already hardened their hearts against him. They had already determined in their hearts to oppose him and to kill him. Now they were just trying to look like they could build a case against him. And so they found some actors to play the part of false witnesses. And and it says here that they couldn't even get their act together with their witnesses. Some stood up and bore false witness in verse 57, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build it another, not made with hands. But that isn't what Jesus says in John 2. Jesus actually looks at them and and says, Destroy this temple You destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. Speaking of his body, his body that would be destroyed and then raised up three days later. And it's obvious their testimony was false. They misquoted Jesus, and they couldn't even get their witnesses to tell the same story. And so verse 59 says, even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the reason their story didn't stick is because Jesus had done no wrong. He was fully innocent. 
He is the sinless Son of God. And this all took place in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Jesus is the sinless Savior and the righteous judge, as we read earlier in Isaiah 53, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, the righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus is the sinless Savior, the sinless Son of God. There's a second truth about Jesus that should increase our love for him. That is that Jesus is the silent Lamb. He is the silent Lamb of God. Verse 60, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answers to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus made no reply. He remained silent. Why did he make no reply? Because the leaders had already made up their minds. It was no use giving them the truth. There was no reason for him to defend himself, but instead he trusted himself to his heavenly father, whom he knew would one day vindicate him. In fact, Peter later writes of Jesus in his first letter to persecuted Christians. He says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, justly. Jesus humbly surrendered to the will of God by becoming the sacrificial lamb of God and stood there in silence against his enemies. Why? Because their hearts were so hardened that it wouldn't matter what he said, but more importantly, he had already so fully surrendered his will, as we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane last week, that he could now entrust himself to the Father that the Father will take care of this. God will judge my enemies. And so he was able to withstand what was coming to him. And this all took place in fulfillment to the scriptures. Jesus is the silent lamb of God who takes away the sins of all who trust in him. Just as we read earlier in Isaiah 53 and verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he opened not his mouth. This is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 the one that we preach 
and the one that we pray that even Jewish people today would see, that their eyes would be open to see, even if they won't bother reading the New Testament, that they would read their Old Testament, that they would open to Isaiah 53, and God would so break down that wall and remove the veil from their eyes and cause them to see the glory of the suffering servant who came for them. He's the silent lamb of God. There's a third truth about Jesus that should increase our love for him, and that is Jesus is sentenced to death. In other words, he's condemned in our place. He is condemned so that we would not have to be condemned. Look at the second part of verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now this time under oath, Jesus speaks the truth. I am, verse 62. I am who you say I am. But he gave his accusers more than they were asking for because he goes on to say then, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So Jesus had just declared his supernatural power which the Sadducees did not believe in. The Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in in the possibility of resurrection. And yet this is what Jesus is saying is going to happen. He's going to be raised from the dead, and one day he is going to return as judge of all those who do not repent and turn to him as Lord. Herschel Hobbes writes in his commentary, the Sanhedrin thought that they had Jesus on trial when all the while they were on trial before him. And though they shall kill him, he shall be exalted to the right hand of God and will sit in final judgment upon them. How then did they respond to This word from Christ, verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? His enemies are coming unglued. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. The other gospels say that the high priest tore his clothes. He was in such a rage. Which is interesting because the Old Testament law actually forbid a high priest from tearing his clothes when he was experiencing personal grief. But when he sat as judge, that if there was blasphemy, then he could tear his clothes in public rage. And that's what's happening here. The high priest loses it. He is seated as judge and he cries out, blasphemy. And he tore his clothes. 
And this all took place in fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus was sentenced to death as a criminal, though he had never done anything wrong. Just as we had read earlier in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah is talking about spiritual healing of the soul. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Falsely accused and falsely sentenced as a criminal. For our sake, we are the criminals. We are those who have broken God's law. We are the ones who have tramped upon the law of God and sinned against him. And yet Jesus, the sinless, innocent one, he offered himself in the place of criminals. And he was sentenced to death. There's a fourth truth about Jesus that should increase our love for him. That is that Jesus is shamed before all. Now, a mob mentality takes over as they respond to the high priest's rage. You see this in verse 65. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards, that is the temple guards, received him with blows. In other words, they beat him. We all know what it feels like to be ashamed, right? And we know what it feels like to be shamed by others. Because of our sin, We should be ashamed, right? We have offended our holy God, but but Jesus was ashamed in our place. Oh, I hope that you get that this morning. Jesus was shamed for you and me. So when we come to him in simple childlike faith, he assumes our shame. Jesus assumes our shame so much so that it says in Hebrews that Jesus welcomes us after the Father adopts us into his family. Jesus welcomes us as his siblings, and he is not ashamed of us. Oh, so often, even after we become Christians, we walk around with so much shame that hinders us hinders us from drawing near to God, hinders us from drawing near to one another because there is this shield of shame. Jesus has destroyed that because he was shamed in our place. 
He endured the shame, Hebrews says. He willingly took it upon himself. And all of this took place in fulfillment to the scriptures. Jesus is the Savior who assumes our shame as his own, though he has no reason to ever be ashamed. Just as Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. All the grief and the sorrow that's connected to the shame that we feel. Jesus has taken all of that. Even though we esteemed him stricken, even though we esteemed him smitten by God and afflicted. This is Jesus. This is the Savior. Having beheld this humble, suffering servant of a Savior, how should we then respond Well, first, if you have already come to Jesus for salvation, then ask the Lord to cause your love for him to increase. Ask him to return you to your first love. Ask him to renew your heart's affection for Christ. But if you have never come to Jesus in repentant faith, then please do that today. Oh, don't let shame keep you from coming to Jesus. Don't let shame be used by the devil to keep you from coming to God. Jesus has already endured the suffering for you. He has already been shamed for you. Come to the Lord Believe in this Jesus who then washes you clean from all of your sin and takes all of your shame away. This is what the Bible says to every one of us as sinners, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Call upon the name of Jesus today. Believe in your heart who he is. He is the sinless son of God who offered himself as the silent lamb to be sentenced to death and shamed for you. Believe that he did that in your place and God will forgive you. God will adopt you into his family and Jesus will say, welcome, you are now My brother, you are now my sister. Oh, what a savior. 
Oh, God, help us. Help us to just see the glory of Jesus, who is such a Savior, one whom none of us could ever deserve. Oh, it is pure, pure, pure grace that any of us is accepted by you. But we know, Father, that that acceptance did not come without a very high price. The price of the life of your only Son, who willingly gave himself for us in our place. Oh, Father, so work in our hearts that we who know Jesus may have our love for him increased by your Holy Spirit. And for anyone here today and anyone who's listening online, oh God, would you cause them, if, if they have delayed in coming to you for whatever reason, thinking they could never be forgiven, that they're so ashamed that you would never receive them, oh, would you help them open their eyes to see Jesus as the one who was shamed for them and that they may run into your arms that are held wide open for any sinner who turns and comes to Jesus. Oh, glorify Christ among us, we pray in his name. Amen.